Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Great news. We now have, for the first time ever available, Query t-shirts. They say, hey, Queeros, they got an amazing design. You can get them at podswag.com or at the link that I'm sure I'm going to tweet out a bunch today. Go get that tea! This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Oh, boy, has it been a busy couple of weeks. I had a great opportunity to pull off this last-minute recording with Kim Fountain, who is the COO, Chief Operating Officer, of the Center on Halstead, which is Chicago's LGBT center, but also one of the largest um, LGBT centers in the Midwest and also in the country. Chicago is where I'm from. The center is a place that I remember it opening. I remember some controversy. I remember some ex- a lot of excitement. I have performed there. I have been through there. I have attended events there. And it was so nice of Kim to um, find some time and come out and talk to me about all the services that they provide. Friends, other things to mention before you get to this episode. I will be in London September 13th doing a live episode of Query, so please come to that. Um, I'm really excited about it. Also, I will be in Chicago, Ann Arbor, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomington, Illinois, Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Boston, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, D.C., Denver, and more dates are being added in more cities. So if you live in any of those cities, you can head to CameronEsposito.com slash tour and go buy some tickets. I cannot wait to meet you on the road. Have a great episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. I am, I am so lucky because I know a lot of wonderful people all over the country and uh, my friend Max Tempkin runs an organization <laughs> that is also a card game called Cards Against Humanity. And um, today I'm in Chicago at the Cards Against Humanity studio. And I have a really wonderful guest. And this all came together super last minute, like within 24 hours. So I'm like jazzed to have you on uh, on the show. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This is really was uh, so quick. Uh, my name is Kim Fountain, and I am the Chief Operating Officer at Center on Halstead. Can you tell me what the Center on Halstead is? I know what it is, but could you tell <laughs> other people? Yes. So we are the Midwest's largest LGBTQ community center, and we are a multi-service agency. We do everything from behavioral health services to having youth housing and youth services, senior services, and that list just keeps going on. I just want to say before we even move into any other thing that I'm so grateful to you for doing that work. Thank you. It's really good work. It's really rewarding. I've been doing LGBTQ work for about 25 years, and Center on Halstead is just one of my favorite places. Where did you start? You said 25. What's your mm-hmm. what's your like trajectory? I started back in 1995 at uh, the New York City Center and moved on for about 10 years to uh, the New York City Gay and Lesbian Anti-Violence Project. 
and then over to Pride Center of Vermont, where I was the executive director, and now over to Center on Halstead. Wow, look at you. <laughs> like that's that's incredible. And I also can imagine that um, the span of that time, I'm imagining that you've dealt with a bunch of different types of issues, although then also some things stay fundamentally the same. But as you know, I think about the things that have changed in the last 25 years and then the things that that never change. And um, at the center now, well, actually, let me let me start a different way. Do you, what, what did you do before that? Like, what was your degree in before you started so, doing this? I'm a cultural anthropologist, and I focus on issues of identity-based violence. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Where, how did you know you wanted to do that? Because when I went to graduate school, or before I got into graduate school, I thought, I understand how to have a discussion with people about po the politics of being queer. And I understood how to have just a general conversation about that. But I didn't understand how to have one in terms of um, religion. And so what I did was I went in and I studied the Presbyterian Church USA, and I did field work there, and figured out how can we talk about their ordination standards in terms of LGBTQ folks and full membership in the church and full inclusion? And so stayed that for a good long time and then realized that uh, a lot of what happened in the church was very similar to what happens in culture, in society uh, here in the United States in terms of making a citizen. And so I started to really focus in on identity-based violence. Kim, I feel like you and I are fated to be friends. <laughs> Sounds like we're interested in a lot of the same stuff. Excellent. Uh, which is really rad. Um, wow. And also, I want to say, uh, you reached out, or or someone at Center on Holstead reached out. Was that you? Was that, that was me. That was you directly? We had, yeah, we had an amazing uh, intern named Hannah Bird who... Uh, yeah. She just she said I I saw this uh, podcast or I heard this podcast yeah and uh, her name's Haley sorry and yeah. she uh, said you have to hear the center on Halsteads there and so I listened. I was talking about yeah. the center um, and also I will say you know once you reached out I felt like I felt really good and kind of bad because I think that I framed um, my experience of the center in what was really true when the center opened which was like. Um, well, Chicago's a really racially divided city. It really is. And, you know, I had to ask a little bit about this. Um, you know, did the funders kind of expect the center to become what it's become? And the good news is at least the people who were directly involved in creating the original center actually envisioned the center to be what it is today, you know. Which is um, great. I didn't yes. know that. I, I think it was like, yeah, the vibe and the tone. When did you start? When did you start Only a couple of years ago. So, um, but, you know, it's really easy to walk into a space in Lakeview and think, you know, it's it's going to serve a certain community. Um, yes. But once you get through our doors and up into the center, suddenly you start seeing everybody. I think we should talk even more specifically about what we're kind of alluding to because people from all over the world listen to this. So in Chicago, um, something that's just historically true and then true to this day is that it's it's a pretty racially divided city where um, a lot of a lot of the Black culture is lo located in the south side and then a little bit the west side and, the, and then um, the north side is really white. And then also like the west, the near west side is also like pretty brown. So I just mean like there's a lot of like there are tons of different types of people here, but um, the boundaries around neighborhoods seem so uh, like drawn in. Almost in, just etched in. in uh, yes. Yeah, in an indelible ink. Yes. And um, 
So it's it's like an interesting thing when you see violence statistics about Chicago, for example, it's like the whole city will be included, but it really is a very small section of the city where most of that violence is happening. And then when you're working on a policy level, like how do you deal with a city where somebody who lives two miles away mm-hmm. is essentially living in like a different city than Oh, abs- absolutely. Know? Yes. And, you know, and I've lived in places like New York City, right? Mm-hmm. So big urban areas and... It really is different in Chicago. Yeah. You really. I'm glad. That, yes. I'm glad to hear that I'm not making this up no. as a Chicagoan. But no, yes, no, no. I mean this is you know no. something we kind of talk about openly here. Absolutely, and if you you just look at the demographics of the city, I mean it's not unclear what's happening. And then yeah. you look at where the city puts its money, and you look at where the city really pays attention to infrastructure, or you look where the food deserts are, and all of these places, which really work to keep people in their neighborhoods in a lot of ways. Um, and so. Center on Halstead understands that. We get it. You know, so we put the center where the largest LGBTQ community that was out and about and around. Boys because, Town yeah, is, Boys is like the what it's called for, every, yeah. for folks who are who are local to here. That's what we would call that area. Yes. And it started because there are a lot of bars that, you know, like Sidetrack that sort of grew up around that in that neighborhood. And so people would And come. Sidetrack is also like... I think it's probably 35 years old at this point I, not, or something it's like that. Older. It's yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been around for a minute when I was here, you know, when I would have been here mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Yeah, it was like the oldest one, you know, that like, but anyway, mm-hmm. keep going. Let's. Yeah. And, and they do a lot of community events and, you know, LGBTQ folks know that bars are really central to our community. You know, it's where a lot of the community events happen. A lot of the fundraisers happen. So this is where the center was built. And now... 11 years later, since that center opened up on La- in Lakeview, we're heading down south, right? So we have youth housed on the south side, and we're going to start doing more programming down I there. I didn't know that. I'm so glad to hear yeah, that. We're, yeah, really excited because, yes, people come from all over Chicago and, you know, neighboring states even to come to Center on Halstead for programs or services, and... We also understand that that journey is also really difficult for a lot of folks. And so we want to go in and listen and learn how to be great partners on the South Side and really understand that, you know, we don't want to, you know, be perceived as this organization marching on down and saying, oh, now we're going to create something that's never been here because we know places like Affinity Community Services, they're there. They've been there. We know that Brave Space Alliance is there, and they're going to stay there, you know, and do the work in community that needs to be done. We want to go in and partner. We want to go in and make sure that we are value-added. Absolutely. Well, also, you know, I would I would imagine, and again, this is really drawing on my experience when I was here, so correct me if, like, there's been a change in the last six or seven years, but... You know, the center also does a bunch of like fundraising events and ha- and is in is a good um, gathering place to, for for gathering up queer dollars. Like, if folks want to invest back, folks who um, are doing well want to invest back and protect the rest of our family, the center is a great place to kind of like put that money in. So it would make sense to me that you do want to partner with other organizations, also as a way of like kind of spreading around the money that you don't want to stay in Lakeview because what you know to to give as much information as possible, Lakeview's very white area. Mm-hmm. It's very close to uh, Wrigley Field. Um, so there's like also a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of activity around there and busyness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine that if you were, uh, especially a young person, but like a, a black trans 
young young person or whatever, you're like taking the bus mm -hmm. up north to come to the center. There's going to be a moment where you're like potentially one of very few black people on that bus or or the only one. Mm -hmm. And then also, obviously, if you're somebody who's presenting differently um, because of what's going on with your gender, then it's like you're so othered on that bus trying to figure out how to go <laughs> and just get services. So okay. I'm glad you're saying, of course, like these places already exist, but it is important to us. I mean, it's important to me as a white person who's from here to like make sure that we are reducing that person's time on that bus, you know, absolutely. if we can. Absolutely. And to live their full authentic selves, right? So maybe... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. So maybe traveling up to Lakeview as a trans person, you know, who, you know, depending on where they are in their world, you know, may not choose to pass, you know, in terms of the gender binary. Right. May choose to be who they, you know, their full fabulous selves. Being on that bus is even more dangerous. And you can... Moments. And you can... You can uh, garner a lot of attention mm -hmm. because because of all this because of all this ways that you're a little different, and then also because, like I said, because this is like a really thriving part of the city too. It's also like it's just a bustling area, and I'm so excited right. to hear that you're like addressing this head on. We I want to really be involved are. in any way. Oh, that I would I can. love that. We would yeah. love that. Um, yeah, there's so much work to be done, and we just hired a director of racial equity and inclusion, and she comes to us out of our anti-violence project. So Amazing. she really has that background. Who is that? Or like, so she comes mm -hmm. out of the anti-violence project. Yes. So that's a part of the center. Like she, this mm -hmm. person's been a full-time staff member. Yes. And awesome. so her name's Joanna Thompson. What up, Joanna? Can't yeah. wait to meet you. <laughs> she is really just, <laughs> just outstanding at what she does. And what's really good about having her on board is that we're now just laser focused on making sure that certain that we shift the racial equity work at Center on Halstead. You know, we really want to make sure that we, though we've been doing this work for a long time, um, you know, about half of our staff are people of color, you know, and so that's different than a lot of other organizations and in leadership, which is also phenomenal. That's we, awesome. Yeah. So uh, from line staff all the way up through our, you know, CEO, folks of color. And we want to make sure that people hear that and they understand that when they come into the center, it's not like they have to leave part of themselves behind. Man, I, I mean, that's, that's really, that's really beautiful. Maybe if we do this work, uh, then it could also, I mean, Chicago as a whole could really benefit from this. And mm -hmm. I, and I know there are many organizations that are trying to make these changes, but, but it's, it's just a, it's such a beautiful city, and I have so much pride about being from here. And then it is also so strange the how de how deep the divide is. It's, it is. It's so strange. Absolutely. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the work that we can do at Center on Halstead is that we can go deep into communities. So, for instance, our HIV and AIDS SDI program will go out and do outreach and really get – Deep. Ooh, talk to me about that. What does that look like? So they'll do everything from, you know, going to Walgreens and all different parts of the cities and doing city and doing testing, or they'll go to fairs, or they'll go to um, house parties. They'll go all sorts of places to do this testing, which is, when you go deep into community, that is, uh, you know, shows, I think, our communities that we embrace everyone. And the other thing that we do is we also go into systems. So... It's not like we have to decide whether or not we change this, the world from within or without or from the outside. We just do it all because, you know, I don't know if you've heard that saying, you know, that when one of us is oppressed, we're all oppressed. For me, that just shows you how 
power and oppression works, that if if you have that one person who's oppressed and we're all oppressed, power must be everywhere, right? It's just, it's coming at you from all sides. So you got to go into the systems and then you also have to stay grassroots. And we have the ability to do that because each of our programs runs almost like it's own entity, you know, um, so we can work with our youth and we can have folks housed on the South side, we can have a prom, we can have all kinds of activities during the day and the evening, you know, hours. So I want to hear more about what those, and I think you said them at the beginning, but what are those individual areas that you work in? Sure. So we have everything from our behavioral health program. So you can get long-term therapeutic, you know, uh, help. And you can also do group work, um, all kinds of, our anti-violence project is in there. I want to even start, yeah, with with talking about how um, important I think that is because to have um, therapists or therapy or group work that's like centered on the queer experiences is straight up hard to find. Like I have a I have a queer therapist right now, and I and I didn't always. Mm-hmm. And it really is so nice to just have less explaining to do because yeah. it's already like you're in such a vulnerable position. You're talking to somebody about your life. For me, actually, therapy is not super comfortable, but mm-hmm. I, I you know I do it anyway because I know it's important. And I think like one anything you could do to alleviate that discomfort. Absolutely. So the minority important. stress that we experience as yes. queer folks yes. is tremendous. And it takes away from your creative energy, from your ability to just do things beyond having to deal with your own stress, you know, and to have a therapist who you can start at that level with, I think makes the experience just much richer. So so do I. Yeah, I really find that. I mean, and also a lot of my things that I want to talk about are very specific and intertwined with identity also. <laughs> yeah. So it's that's the other thing I think sometimes like when a straight world is trying to imagine a queer experience, it's like it's like put on for moments sort of mm-hmm, a thing where it's mm-hmm. like then like if I'm having sex, I'm super gay during that time. And then like <laughs> if I'm watching Carol, I'm like pretty gay during Carol. But like then there's a lot of time where I'm just like straight because just yeah. we, we just think about it like the default is, is straight. And right. uh, I'm, you know, I'm queer. So a lot of my problems are like or things I want to talk about are related to dynamics that exist in relationships that are there partially because of my identity. Absolutely. And that's so insightful because when we do our anti-violence work, which is in our behavioral health department, um, we start from a community-based violence platform no matter what. Like, So if we're dealing with domestic violence or sexual violence, we talk about the community-based violence that affects people throughout a lifespan and so and creates greater vulnerabilities around you know just our very existence so that we may if our family throws us out of the house and um, you've got like 20 to 40 percent of the youth on the street who are lgbtq right so you're already starting from a place of what would be considered almost like a social isolation moment it there's a family on the streets and we would never discount that but also your traditional safety nets you've been severed from them and so one of the major tactics of a batterer is to isolate somebody. Oh, right, yeah. Right? And so if we start our work from the experiences as vulnerable populations in the sense that, you know, we're being attacked all the time from, you know, society all around us that is set up for heterosexual folks, it impacts the way that we form relationships or that we are victimized or that we can access services or not access services. A hundred percent. And I mean, it's it's interesting because I could also look at, we can look at that from like a, you know, we can like figure out the, the, the statistics and the, 
And um, and then I can just look at my own anecdotal experience that I that mm-hmm. I have lived, and it's very interesting because I know it's true both ways. And there there are not a lot of things that I have like just this concrete ex- experience with where I'm like, I just know this is true. Like a, here's a small example: so many of the folks that I know who are cultured female um, that like I've dated or that are just part of my community are survivors of sexual violence mm-hmm. and, and sexual assault, and I know that the reason is often because uh, assault is about power and assault is about finding somebody who already is isolated, as you're saying, mm-hmm. and can, in using using that as a tool to keep them silent or keep them under your power or all those things. Um, plus culture disconnects people who are cultured female from our bodies and from our agency. And so like, then you're, you know, walking this gauntlet and it's like, yeah, no, no yeah, no one, like no kidding. Yeah. It's, right. you know, that, that right. it's, that it's everybody I know, you know, that mm-hmm. it's not uh, just me, that it's like all, all the folks that I've encountered and, and dated. Absolutely. And, you know, like, you know, just yes, mean, it's like, yes. you know, there's there's so much um, there's so much of that in our community. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think we could always talk about more. Absolutely. Um, the yes. way that like we're not yeah. we are um, particularly vulnerable. Yes. And, you know, it, so Centers for Disease Disease control puts out a um, study on this, and it does show higher rates of both domestic and sexual violence in our communities. And it is really something to pay attention to because, again, it affects how we form relationships, whether they are intimate relationships, friendships, relationships with our families. And I, you know, for a long time, so I came out in the 80s, and a lot of folks would say, oh, you know, lesbians are who they are because they've been harmed in some way, you know. And I always think it's not that per se. It is that, uh, you know, two things. One, I think because we're accustomed to talking about our sexuality, we might be more, you know, sort of able to speak about some of the harm we've experienced, you know, because we've had to learn to talk about these. I'm so glad that you said that. Keep you know? going. Yeah, but I'm so glad you <laughs> yeah. said that. Yeah. You know, and then also uh, there's been some you know, journal articles written about things, uh, you know, how do we, one in particular about how uh, women who are on death row, they ask, you know, are women getting away with murder? And if they perform their femininity correctly, they're usually not put on death row, but if they don't, then they are. And it says that, you know, we use the death penalty and prisons to really um, keep men of color, especially young men of color and men with disabilities under state control. For women, it's often domestic and sexual violence is used to keep control. And so if you look at those systems of power that operate in our society, there is exactly what you talked about, that the heightened vulnerability for women. And the nice thing about Center on Halstead and the anti-violence work that we do along with the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs is that we start, we pull away the binary a lot of times, you know, and say, let's just talk about victimization and survivors. And so, you know, we'll start to work. You'll see a lot more men coming through and talking about this and then women being able to talk about their female batterers. But it's still so, you know, so often women who are targeted. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, to me, it almost makes me think of something that you were saying at the the very beginning of that made me think about how I, I also think at some level there became there was a point in my life where I had like a, f- a freedom from um, sort of letting men down or letting patriarchy down because I had let it down completely. Like mm-hmm. I had broken that. <laughs> I had let the whole system down. Um, and so then I could evaluate the things that I had encountered in my life from a position of like, well, I 
I don't need to participate in the system anymore. And I also mm -hmm. often think about that when I think about like the reporting of the statistics for our community specifically yeah. is that like some of that is a little bit of, um, like you said, it's fluency with talking about sex, but it's also maybe um, some distance from the systems that create those things to begin with. Like just yes. even if it's even if it's a step away, yeah. And it makes me that when I think about that, I I become so compassionate for uh, women who do date men and continue to date men, or mm -hmm. um, who don't have a moment um, in their life where they have to like look at this system. Cause I think it's a little easier for me to see the system than for maybe someone else who is like swallowed up in it. Swallowed up. And I think in some ways, you know, when you love somebody who is in the binary and they are, yeah. you know, it's hard. Complicated, right? It's complicated. Look at these two <laughs> lesbians being like, we feel you. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but I, it does. It seems really complicated. It does. It does. <laughs> and, and again, I don't want to take away from the experiences of queer survivors in terms of no, being no, no, in no. same gender, you know. Of course. Of situations course. where that happens. And yet I do, you know, I have the same situation where I look at the world outside and think, yeah, I look at my niece and I think, oh, I hope you're going to be okay in the world. You know what I mean? I so we're we are really lucky because I think we get to hopefully always evaluate like in group conversation and yeah. and um like how how I actually I like love queerness because mm -hmm. it's it I think it's just evolving um constantly in this really nice way where like I'm sometimes comics will will be like very upset that somebody has given them feedback after a show about like some horrific joke that they told and I'm like you should try to be a member of my community because it is like <laughs> I am patrolled on a daily basis for everything yes. that I say yes. and I'm I am what a blessing you know what I mean like because I I want to evolve and, and learn I don't want to be like a static lump right. um but yeah then we can have these conversations and acknowledge everything that's true. And then it's like there are systems outside of our control and outside of our community that our community like floats on top mm -hmm. of, sometimes dips into. Like we're so a part of it and not a part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the experience is like if you actually do the on-the-ground work with queer folks all the time. It's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, I think about my privilege. You have to in this work, right? So you always think about your privilege and the privilege to be able to locate yourself outside of certain forms of harm, you know, um, I have a mother who is a survivor of war and occupation and being raised in that, with that lens in the world, you really start to understand or have even a glimpse into what happens when the world around you is hostile, mm. you know, and that is a humbling experience because, you know, bless my mom, she never made us feel guilty for being safe, which is awesome. Yeah, that but is awesome. But also wanted us to know, like, the world is not always the kindest place in the world. And sometimes you can't just, you know, take a break from it or you can't just walk away from it. And those are the moments that I'm really happy to be at Center on Halstead because those are the moments where I understand that the people that I work with in their heart of hearts are there because they want to make certain that they can do everything they can possibly do to help mitigate some of those experiences, to you know, help people take a breath for a minute, even if it's during a therapeutic session or during an HIV test, or maybe when we're, you know, uh, producing shows that, you know, bring some laughter into the world, like that kind of stuff, you know, those moments of levity or those moments of being able to just breathe are so few and far between for so many people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
I'm about to burst into tears, girl. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. HelloFresh has three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, so there's something for everyone. That's something I really like about HelloFresh. First of all, I will just say I love meal kit delivery services because I really like to cook, and I like to cook like things that are that I can fit into my schedule. So ingredients delivered right to your door, yes, that's helpful. Takes only 30 minutes to prepare, yes, that's helpful. But also that you can choose a veggie designation, which your boy Cammie is a vegetarian, that is rad. Basically, improve your life by making fancy dinners for yourself or someone you love. Just head over to hellofresh.com query 60 and you'll get $60 off that's 20 bucks off your first three boxes if you just head over to hellofresh.com slash query60 and enter code query60. Hey, Queeros. This week's episode is sponsored by Pact. Pact is an organic cotton clothing company. Organic cotton clothing company on a mission to make sure everyone can be comfy in their own skin. They make super soft clothes for any type of bod, and they use 100% organic cotton. They partner with fair trade certified factories because they believe the comfort of people who make the clothes is just as important as the people who wear them. I wear stuff from their men's section, including like a very, very soft sweatshirt. And straight up, the clothes are pretty affordable. Tees are 15 bucks, leggings are 30 bucks. So friends, if you want a super soft sweatshirt of your own or anything else that Pact sells, head to wearpact.com. Enter the code QUERY for 25% off your first order. That's W-E-A-R-P-A-C-T dot com and enter the code QUERY. Bye. Man, this is really, it's really It's really a pleasure to have you here. Can I ask you about the housing that you provide? Absolutely. So we provide two different kinds of housing. One is housing on the south side for for youth, and um, hopefully we'll get a grant to do some more of this work for more people. But right now it's a small project, and um, it's a board-led project. Our board is really behind this, which is not always the case in a lot of organizations, and they put a lot of time and energy and funding toward making certain that we have these great wraparound services for these youth and help them sort of get into um, their own stable housing, which we've done. And so that's been a success. We also have senior housing and we do that with Heartland Alliance. And that is something that um, I feel like our community like never talks about. Oh, so rarely. And there's so little of it. You know, um, it's just, we don't want to think about aging oh, yeah, as no, a society. I, right, of right? course. <laughs> And so, oh, and, the march toward death? No, not me. I don't right? want to. Right. And especially if you're a queer elder, because then you're looking at going back in the closet, maybe after a life of activism, you know, you're looking at, you know, how am I, am I going to be okay with my neighbors? Are my neighbors going to be okay with me? What's going to happen here? And so it's re- it can be really scary. What what is the Heartland Alliance? What what are, what are the services they provide? Oh, they. I remember them from when I was yeah, here. Yeah, no, they're enormous. They provide. Yeah. 
almost every service from you know refugee resettlement work to you know senior housing i mean they are so enormous. the senior housing looks yeah. like what is it like a it's called town hall apartment apartments and it's right near center on halstead and it's a beautiful space with uh and they made certain that there was a lot of community space in it which was really important for us because we do so much programming and it, it's everything from lunches for the seniors to uh field trips to like baton club to see some drag performances you know Amazing. to you know how do i get my benefits so it's all kinds of things right well also and i mean i'm not telling you anything but maybe for some listeners i mean especially like the generation that i think for my generation and people especially people that are maybe like 30 i think we're going to see a lot more um kids and families mm-hmm. certainly there were also queer folks who've always had kids but um there's also folks in like a generation older than you and i mm-hmm. who probably had less access to that and so those are they really are our community's responsibility to take care of because that's another thing that when we think about, um, you know, folks who are aging that might have kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, and like this whole Mm -hmm. network, but for some, for a variety of reasons, they came out and then their family rejected them or because they didn't have children of their own or whatever it is, um, were also a little bit more likely to be just like kind of dangling out there as opposed to engulfed in a family that wants to help us figure out mm-hmm. or even in a community you know mm-hmm. what I mean like yeah. the LGBTQ community for years has been rather famously infamously uh focused on younger groups of folks y- mm-hmm. you know um I talk to people about this a lot where even when I talk to a group of elders uh and uh you know senior folks who I said what project do you want to work on you know and this was supposed to be specifically for seniors and they said well we should help the youth and I thought, wait a minute, what about yourselves? Like, <laughs> like you know, and it's amazing. Yeah. Everybody wants to, like, heal their youth experience. Oh, my God, it couldn't be more true, youth, right? Right? Yeah. And yes, absolutely, yes, please always help youth. Yes, very much in need of help or guidance or just an opportunity and get out of their way, let them do what they need to do. I mean, you know, any range of, range sure. of needs, right? Um and rarely do we look at seniors and think, oh, right, 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 we have to help the seniors. But I think they said something like 10,000 people a day become seniors. It's enormous number of people. So we have to pay attention to the needs. And oftentimes, again, you know, you might have somebody who was an activist their whole lives and then going into a situation where they can't be that person. And, you know, right. for fear of being treated. or Oh, yeah, like because they're, they're going into – a nursing home or mm-hmm. community living situation where they have even a direct roommate, something mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's abs- and then and then like that, you know. And then, so- they, then it's like college all over again, where you're where you're like, <laughs> I don't even want to look at your body. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you're not even my type. Right. 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 And just like with youth, oftentimes when seniors uh, will say, you know, there's an issue that keeps coming up, like when youth do this in school, they're blamed. You know, why do you have to be out? Why are you causing an issue? Why did you right. maybe hit on that person? You know, could right. you imagine if, you know, women walking down the street decided to, you know, punch any guy who catcalled them or, you know, I mean, I do imagine that, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, this notion of blaming sure. yeah. somebody for somebody else's reaction right. when really anything they've done is not out of the ordinary you know, just being who you are in the world and experiencing somebody's 
homophobia or transphobia, biphobia, like is unacceptable, but we often don't think about that with our seniors. Right. Oh man. I mean, I have to say Lola Cami Esposito, my, this Mike, I was just in, I was just in Provincetown this past weekend nice. and I um, was walking uh, near like the edge of town. There's um, just a little area out by this jetty that um, has all these stones in it that are dedication stones. And a lot of them are um, from, you know, it'll be like two names and then like uh, some really specific and sweet like message between the two people and then um, dates. And I, I mean, I, I literally burst into tears because it does, I, I think are, well, the same community of people that you're talking about that are aging are, are all the people that made my life possible. Exactly. Exactly. So, and can still a make... A little bit fuck me if I'm not helping them out. <laughs> right? Right? And can still make our lives more possible. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't stop being activists or they don't stop no, being yeah, community engaged, right? So, and that's... And it's something they want me to always tell people. You know, they may be seniors, but it doesn't mean they don't want to engage. And they keep telling me, you know, I just want to wake up and have something to do today that makes sense or makes my world meaningful. And yeah, that's what we want to, we absolutely, don't we all want that? Okay. You know? So then my new passion project is anything with gay seniors. Thank you for the information <laughs> so that I knew what I cared about. <laughs> um, what else? So we've talked a little bit about uh, are there any other services that I haven't like brought up that you think you want to shout out or talk about that um, you're you're particularly proud of? Because I'd also love to hear more about you as a human being, but uh, we can start by talking about the center. Yes, because we have this amazing program called the Silver Fork Program. What is this? It's a job readiness program. So folks who've been out of the workforce for a while for any number of reasons, you know, life gets tough and they want to get back in and want to get engaged. And so... Um, we have an amazing pro – it's a culinary arts program. It's nine weeks. It is free. And you come in and you learn how to do all kinds of knife skills and menu planning and all about nutrition and things like this. And uh, Chef uh, Nicole Peterson is just a whiz in the kitchen. And, um, sh you know, she and uh, Chef Veronica will – bring these folks through their nine weeks, about 20 people per class or so, and then they help them get jobs. And this is at everything from like the Alinea group, which, you know, fancy schmancy. That is a right? fancy, that's right. a fancy group of restaurants. It is, right? And then over to like, you know, Jean's Sausage Shop, right? So just, it's everything in between. And, you know, so if you don't want the hustle and bustle, you want just something a little calmer, you know, there's, they, they know, they work with people to place them where they'll succeed. And then, we send them off with a knife kit because that you need a knife kit. Oh, my you know? gosh. And the graduation is my favorite day at the center because you see their families or their loved ones who are there to watch them, you know, graduate from this program. And you can see the hope being restored. Like this person I love so much is on their way. They're back on a path. And that program just, it just, it you know, simultaneously like breaks your heart and gives you all the hope in the world. Wow. You know? Wow. Is there are there any things that we haven't discussed that you find are um, like the issues that the center is dealing with right now for our community? That I mean, I feel like we've talked a little bit about kind of a lot of things: aging and youth, and you know, <laughs> and race. And there's a lot. Absolutely, violent. We've we've covered a bunch of things, but what what am I not thinking of? Well, there's you know, so we also have a gender equity and inclusion uh, director, and 
you know, racial equity is always front and center. And then people don't understand that there's also a difference between the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q, right? We, because we, we get lumped into this sort of hole, you know, so, you know, so I always tell people, so I'm, yeah, my mom is Asian, and I always say, you know, the only thing that she has in common with a lot of the other Asians that fall under that umbrella is a person who created the term Asian, yeah. right? So that's their moment of, of similarity. Um, and I feel sometimes it's similar with LGBTQ folks, right? So, you know, you look at, like, you know, um, what a gay man is going to experience and what a lesbian is going to experience, and you know, we focus on those th those two groups almost like in a binary moment, right? And then everybody else kind of, kind of comes along. We got to stop that. You know, we have to understand that September is Bisexual Awareness Month, right? And we have to do better, you know? Sure. Especially because you look at the statistics on bi folks and health disparities and uh, experiences of violence higher than both lesbian and gay populations. And wasn't it also that recently, like, more teens are identifying as bi than, any, yeah, than anything else yeah. right now? Yeah, yep. Or even as just, you know, pansexual or not identifying. Sure. You know, yeah. and go them for even deciding I don't want to identify. Cool. You know? I, I had the weirdest experience not too long ago where I heard one of the, um, I haven't heard this in so long. I, th I thought it was over. I mean, I'm not bi, so maybe people say this to bi people all the time. But it was the, like... Like pick a side that somebody yeah. said as a joke, mm -hmm. like and this was a you know this was a queer person mm -hmm. saying this as a joke as if that would ever be a funny joke. It's not a funny joke because it's just not even it's not creative. Mm -hmm. Listen to the stand up comic, um, but um, yeah, I suppose that um, I mean I think another thing I have seen and this is also I moved to LA, so it could be like a cultural difference, but it also is. The time frame I see the shifting to the word queer, which is a Absolutely. word I really love. Yeah. Um, and then I I also feel enormous kinship with like kind of anybody in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. um, I feel a family connection. I also understand that we do not all face the same mm -hmm. the same obstacles um, or like get the same rewards and whatever. But I do think that um, queerness being like this next movement is very interesting. In that it will see exactly what we're talking about with, like, the youth, like, I guess kind of how that will continue to present when there are these, like, sort of more nebulous terms. So many of my friends now identify with that term more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I identify as lesbian. I also identify as queer. I'm, like, good with – I also like gay. I'm, all, I'm good with all of that. But I think – or pan or identifying as nothing. But then, you know, you enter the job market or then you um, marry somebody. Mm -hmm. And there are still going to be – um, systemic issues to deal with regardless of how like kind of inclusive our identity terms become and that to me is something that's also very interesting right and we don't want to replicate the very systems we have worked so hard to abolish right so I think you know when I came out in the 80s and folks were like no you can't be so I identify as a dyke right so oh what a great <laughs> oh what a great word I love how I love how you said it oh, this is great so you know and people telling me, no, you can't be. No, you can't be. You know, and I never want to do that to somebody else. Mm. You know, um, I don't want, you know, I have friends who may have been the biggest, you know, lesbians, you know, lesbian Avenger type folks who now love a man, you know, or folks, and let's 
trans folks, right, or gender non-binary folks, you know, uh, genderqueer folks. How are we looking at people and deciding for them who they can and cannot be? You know, and we're still doing that. Our community still does that, and we have to stop it. Yeah. Okay, so you came out in the 80s. Yeah. I have, I have a bunch of questions about <laughs> what it was like. Uh, um, where did you live at the time? If I lived anything in that you feel comfy answering. Oh, I, yeah. I, where did you live at the time? Doing this forever. So, yeah, so I lived in Massachusetts. Where did you live in Massachusetts? Palmer, Mass., which is smack dab in the middle of the state. Okay. And so it's kind of near Northampton, Amherst. Amazing. I've been to Northampton and Amherst. Very amazing. I yes. uh, I went to college in Boston, and then I dated a woman who had gone to Mount Holyoke. So we went mm-hmm. out. I mean, shocking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But so we, w- we went out there. Yeah. I uh, went to UMass. Amazing. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so came out at UMass. And uh, what was that experience like? It was, you know, it was relatively easy for me because I don't know what genetic code I'm lacking, but my embarrassment meter is not <laughs> high enough, I think. And so I just came out and I was like, I love women. You know? Who did you tell? And um, so I started by telling my residence director. I was very strategic about it. That's amazing. That's a good, yeah. actually, like, that's a good, that's a smart choice. She was, thank you. She was wonderful. And she was also a big old lesbian. And it was clear. And she was very cute about it. Cause she said, thank you so much for telling me. Because it was back in the day when you would thank people for telling yeah. me. And she was like, how did you think to tell me? And I was like, well, you're a big lesbian. <laughs> pretty clear but I was like I don't know you're my residence director I thought it was a good start um and then my roommates and all that you know and then I came out to my parents and my parents um have an interracial marriage and understood they were married before uh you know anti-miscegenation laws were passed and my father had to leave the military when he married my mom um, because it just wasn't, the army told him, you have to leave your wife up north when you are stationed down south. So that's how it's going to happen. He's like, no. So wow, they understood loving somebody that society tells you is not okay. And so they were really cool about it. And my mom pretty much didn't go to school because of occupation and things like this. And um, she uh, dated a woman for a short bit of time. So she was just like, it's all good whatever works for you. That's incredible. Yeah, she's got the most amazing story in the entire world. Yeah. So it was really easy for me. I was really uh, lucky in my, and, and privileged in my ability to come out and not experience family rejection. And then when I did, you know, some folks did not like it. I was like, whatever, I'm off into the world and you stay where you are and good luck with you. So where did you first find community? In Northampton. Yeah, UMass and Northampton. Um Northampton in the 80s was just the best place you could possibly be a lesbian in. You know? Oh, my gosh. So maybe we should like to. Yeah. So it's like a small town, but like Emily Dickinson is involved with being <laughs> having written poems there. Super artsy. Yeah. It's in the middle of like a beautiful valley with like gorgeous trees. And um, also there's there are a bunch of. And I don't even know if this is the term anymore. Women's colleges. Is that, what, yeah, is that still, still the term? term? Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and they are trying to do a good job in a lot of ways. I've I've met some students from Mount Holyoke who have transitioned during their yeah, me, time there. Me too. I guess all I good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it may not be perfect. I don't know everyone's who knows, experience. But it is a thing that's happening. Yes. Yes. And um, so, yeah, but you had like Mount Holyoke and Smith, Smith. College. I played Smith and Rugby. Uh, they were, it turns out, better than the 
women at Boston College. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, and so yeah, it came out there. And then I went to Santa Cruz, which is basically... Oh, Santa Cruz is beautiful. Yeah. And I called it just Northampton on the beach. Sure. Yeah, you because know, lots of women, great women's community. And then I moved to Park Slope, Brooklyn, which was more lesbians in the 90s. You tracked <laughs> it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I like women. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so, but but it is it is um, again. I made choices. I made. I was able to make choices. You know, um, I was able to do queer work and have. If you told the eighteen year old me who you know coming out that I would make a career doing LGBTQ movement work, I would have asked you what movement work was, and then would have said, "No, that's not possible." But it is possible now, and it's possible because of the seniors that we had been chatting about. It was possible because people volunteered places, and most of our organizations started out as volunteer organizations, you know. And so, yeah, if not for them, we wouldn't be here, and we the, the world would not look this way to us, you know. No, no, it would not, you know. No, it's and it's hard to see a lot of those rights being threatened. Yes. You know, that's that's a tough I feel like know. it is what one thing I, I think about in my um brain and heart when my heart thinks, uh, is that we are we are like stronger than we've ever been also. And yeah. I don't mean like it's not to disparage people in the past. I just mean we have um we have str- stronger uh we know who each other are <laughs> more than we used to and we are involved in more systems and we are out to more people. And we have more stability as people that are out. So I do think that that's like the only thing I can do to talk myself into feeling okay is that like I believe we're a strong community to fuck with is what I would say. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the amazing thing about queer folks is that we do, you know, when we do get into positions of power, we are still tied to community. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that's super important because also a lot of us are able to get into those positions because people may not read us as queer, you know? And so maybe there is, you know, if we take advantage of that, sure, you know, that's a strength of ours is to be able to get into those systems, you know, and then work on them from the inside. Or just be like, I'm super gay, then become famously gay, then be like selling tickets to gays, turns yes. out gay people have money, then you go, then you go, surprise, uh, I actually still care about them. So yes, that's, that's absolutely. Also it is <laughs> remarkable because, you know, that spirit of community, like, you know, one of the things my father said when I came out, and I was shocked by this because I still don't understand how he knew this, you know, he told my mom, I'm less worried about her now, actually, because wherever she goes, she will have community. And I was like, how does he know that? You know, but but wow. it's true, you know? What had your life been like prior to that? That he would have, that, that he would have, like, was he saying because this person was always like this and was mm-hmm. alone? Well, it's mostly because yeah, he was just thinking about my, you know, when a lot of parents think about their child's future yeah. as a gay kid. They think, oh, people are going to be mean to them. Exactly. Right? Their life is going to be hard. Somehow, and I, I find this remarkable, my working class dad, you know, just looked at me and said, you're going to be okay now. Like, like, because he always knew Other I was just a little different. You. Yeah. You know? Mm. And I think it probably worried him a bit. 
you know, but then seeing like, oh, now I get it and you're going to be okay. I mean, that to me is like what I think the experience is for most queer people when they come out and what isn't articulated about coming out. When we talk about coming out, we center like the parent who's afraid. That, you're, that is remarkable that your dad was able to go there is remarkable because yeah. I do think that that's true is that I, I absolutely worried about my future. Could I ever get a job? And, you know, not like imagining that I would just be like the like one queer person alone walking through the earth like like that right, that I like, right. wouldn't ever like stumble into anybody else that I would just be like uh walking through um you know seas of straits but mm-hmm. uh but yeah it, it's a good time for me in the world at least you know and again like working at Center and Halstead 1400 people coming through those doors every day and you look at them and you think that's amazing yeah and thinking about all the people who don't come through the doors, right? Who can't make it through the doors, who for whatever reason, that is not an option. And and you always have to work. Anything that we do in our worlds, anything that my teams do in the world is done with those people in mind, right? To never become too self-congratulatory, to never become too complacent, to always think, who are we not reaching and why? Is it because we're getting in our own way? Is it because somehow... Society has just built too many walls between us, and we just have to work harder to break them down. Like, what are we doing, you know, to to actually reach those folks? Wow. Well, let me let me transition to, into a different uh, question. That I think actually kind of speaks to that. Also, how how do you get your funding? Oh, all over the place. <laughs> so, talk uh, me through that. It's everything from um, you know federal money that gets passed through over to state funds, like through the. Illinois Department of Health or the Chicago Department of Health. Um, we get it through uh, the most amazing private donor that uh, base in the, that you could have. These folks give from their heart, which I can't tell you how important that is because that makes you want to take every penny they donate um, and use it well. You know, and this is sure we have the very wealthy donors who you know just maybe they had a gay kid and they want to give us some money. That's love them. But also you have somebody who's on a fixed income who says, I'm going to give you five bucks this month. And you're looking at that $5 and you think that, well, that could have been dinner for them, or I can take that $5 and I now will try to figure out how to feed five people. You know, so that's, so it's that kind of money comes in. We have events, you know, our big gala, you know, Oscar parties, things like this. So we, we, a range of different ways to bring money through the doors to do the good work. So if folks want to get involved and support you, how would they do that? They can just give the center a call and let them know. Um, so if, if they want to support us with their time, they can go through our volunteer orientation and we will then hook them up with a volunteer opportunity. If they want to donate, we have the best development department who will sit down with you and really talk with you about like how we do our work, how the money is spent, you know, and, you know, so that we, we can show people that we will steward their donation you know in a way that makes sense that's rad i like yeah. all of these things awesome. and you said you've been there for a couple years mm-hmm. wow and uh i guess i would ask this maybe like this is the final question on the center is like what else would you what would you hope to change like while you're in this position i don't know if this is like mm-hmm. and i'm gonna work here forever or if you're seems like you have been so many places and and done so many work with different um parts of the LGBT community, at least geographically. So like, what else would you want to, what mark would you want to leave on Chicago and, and on the center? 
I would love for Center on Halstead to um, wrap its arms even more broadly around community, you know, to, so I came through um, the movement primarily as a community organizer. And I would love to see more people, even more people coming into the center and for the center folks to be going out into community more, you know, to be able to find the right kind of funding to support our ability to actually be outside the walls of Center on Halstead, you know, and oh, to I actually be engaged and to say, we're here, we will support you or just stand shoulder to shoulder with you or work beside you to get whatever it is you want done, done. You know, I would like to see that happen a little bit more. Oh, I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's very admirable. So I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up like, um, about 15 miles west of the city. And I definitely would not have, well, I didn't, I didn't know I was gay. Um, but I also wouldn't have, I'm trying to think if I would have had, also it's like the internet didn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm trying to imagine if I would have, you know, ever have, I think I would have never gone to Boys Town because I think the only time I ever went there was if like we parked on the other side to walk to Wrigley Field, Mm -hmm. which is uh, so dang close. Um, So I I don't think I ever would have gone to Boys Town. um, And I don't think I ever would have like reached out and tried to find services down here to begin with. So Mm -hmm. I I mean, just as somebody who like vaguely grew up here, I mean, not in the city proper, um, I know what you're talking about would have certainly mattered to me. Um, just knowing that there, I mean, I don't, I don't think I knew there were like any organizations uh, in the city. And of course, everything already still, you know, or so many places already existed, but I was just, I had no, I had no idea that that right. was true. It, it, and it is something that, you know, you talk to people who may even have been a mile away. Yes. And they still don't know the center is there or, you know, for whatever reason, whatever number of reasons, don't know that we exist and then find us. Yeah. And you can tell there's almost this palpable, you know, like relief that they are now someplace that they can exhale and just be who they are. And that's a privilege, you know, for us. And at the same time, it's amazing that, um, you know, there's still so much work to do and we still have to make certain that we, again, are out in community. And it's about finding those funding streams. You know, it is about finding the ability to hire folks who can actually not sit at a desk or not sit, you know, in the center and actually be out and engaged. And that is not easy funding to find. No, no, it is not. It is not. Um, But it's important. And we'll do it. It is really important. Figure it out. Okay. So I have, I have ideas in my brain. You know, something that is also really important to me is like creating a little bit more community between the Cubs and Boys Town. I'm actually throwing out a first pitch this weekend because, oh, I, because nice. I after after going um, after like working with them on a couple other small things where I just was like watching batting practice and stuff. I, I wrote them a letter specifically talking about how important it was to me as a as a gay person um, to like as a means of violence reduction. Mm-hmm. Not that like the Cubs, the organization, is violent, but I just <laughs> no, mean no, that no. like it's a two communities that are right next to each other, Boys Town and Wrigleyville, are two communities that are right next to each other that sometimes don't appear to have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And by the way, like straight up they do, of course, you know, but right. I think that any time that any any communities um, have what feels like 
a big demarcation between the two. It's important to do whatever you can to like build those bridges. Absolutely. So, and the Cubs actually have been incredibly generous. I believe it. And yep. the Ricketts family has been very yep. supportive. Of Shout Center out to the Ricketts. Yes, Shout out to Laura. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and they've been amazing. And so... That is a good thing. And and the more people that tell folks that, you know, the more people that call different organizations or yeah. different, you know, uh, large entities like the Cubs, uh, better it is for everybody. Right. You know, for or say, like, I want to throw a first pitch because I'm gay and, like, <laughs> let's make this all ha- You know what I mean? Like, let's yeah. make, make it all happen. And they have gay day. so They do have gay day. Yeah. Or it may be LGBTQ day. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's yeah. – so this is a city where I think sometimes when uh, – at the surface, it can look like things are very divided. It can look mm-hmm. like – can look like the Cubs are not sending you a lot of money, but now we know they <laughs> They've are. They've been very kind to us. They have been. But you know, no, so that's not even what I mean. I just yeah, mean it's yeah, like yeah. it's nice to yeah. know that there are a lot of things to do. Oh, there, there and that there absolutely. are also a lot of things already being done. Absolutely, and you know, when you talk about being out of the city, just uh, you know, I've worked in rural areas on LGBTQ stuff. I worked, you know, we did work up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. You know, which is just very like different. straight up a lot more rural than where I grew up, which is just like near Oak Brook Mall. But, <laughs> <laughs> but also like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it just it's amazing to see, you know, when you talk about like community and y- y- there are similarities in the Northeast Kingdom as they are, you know, you know, with, uh, you know, being in Boys Town. You know, and so that there is something about being part of this global LGBTQ community that is a remarkably exhilarating experience. Yes, we are family. It is so nice to meet you, family member. And um, and before I send you off into your day, because this has been a great conversation, literally, I wish people knew what time we emailed each other yesterday. (laughs) Like what time you emailed. I was like, yes, tomorrow. (laughs) Set it up for tomorrow. Um, But First of all, thank you so much for taking time to drive over oh, here. And um, when we get off mic, I'm going to talk to you more about maybe some ways that we could get involved working together. Love that. But um, in the meantime, uh, I just want to ask you if you would like to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place, thing that made you feel confident and comfortable being the person you are today. Oh, that, you know, I knew this question was coming. Um, and so many have gone through my head. Um, and... So my quick answer, right, is anybody who's ever given to an LGBTQ organization, whether it be time or money, you know, at, we like I said, we started off as volunteer organizations, and if not for the support of our communities and our allies, we would never have grown into a movement, you know. Um, so anybody who's ever given, those are my heroes, you know. And I would also say that, you know, Tico Valle, who is our CEO at Center on Halstead, definitely a queero of mine because that man has taking, taken Center on Halstead from a dream into a reality and has created one of the largest community centers, LGBTQ community centers in the country. And his passion and his commitment are an inspiration. Shout out, Tico. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, everybody that's listening, Go give money to the center on Halstead. Thank you so much for doing that. And you will be Kim Spiro. <laughs> hey. 
Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Fake nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Jesus! I mean, Jazos! (laughs) Ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.